Welcome to another episode of the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Young, and joining me is a special guest and co-host today, Miss Debo Dykes. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Miss Dykes. So um, I found this interesting quote um, that says, gaining knowledge is the first step to wisdom. Sharing it is the first step to humility. What an awesome quote. Yes, that is. And I rely on that most every day, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I actually live by that one as well. So if you have ever had a tissue sample taken from your body and your doctor said he or she was sending it to the lab, more than likely a pathologist was used. An accurate diagnosis leads to the most effective treatment possible. On this podcast, we will discuss and understanding your pathology report and how it is used to diagnose breast cancer. Today with us is Dr. Timothy Craig Allen. Dr. Allen obtained his medical degree from Baylor College of Medicine in 1984 and completed his residency in anatomic and clinical pathology, subsequently serving on the faculty of Baylor College of Medicine until 1995. He then attended the University of Chicago Law School and graduated with a degree of Doctor of Law with honors in 1998. Subsequently practicing healthcare law and litigation, Dr. Allen compared a two-year fellowship in pulmonary pathology in the Texas Medical Center in 2004. Dr. Allen is the chair of the Department of Pathology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Dr. Allen is a member of the Board of Directors and a member of the Academic Advisory Board of the Crime Prevention Research Center. He is certified by the American Board of Pathology and Anatomic and Clinical Pathology with added qualifications in cytopathology. He is an associate editor of Archives of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine. He is the immediate past president of the Pulmonary Pathology Society and past president of the Texas Society of Pathologies. He is a governor of the College of American Pathologies Board of Governors and is chair, vice chair, or member of several CAP councils and committees. He has also authored and co-authored numerous articles and book chapters on pulmonary pathology and medical legal issues and has co-authored and co-edited several books on pulmonary pathology. Dr. Allen is a series co-editor of the Advances in Surgical Pathology series. Good morning and welcome to this episode of the podcast with Dr. Timothy Allen. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It is, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Ms. Young and Ms. Dykes, for inviting me to join you to discuss uh, the pathology report uh, of our patients. My goodness, with your um, introduction and all of your uh, credentials and awards and involvement in uh, pathology, pulmonary especially, it seems like it's your specialty. I'm out of breath with just how exciting we are, how excited we are to have you with us. Thank you so much. Well, well, thank you. It's a great pleasure to visit with y'all and discuss pathology reports. Uh, As you said, uh, knowledge is power for our patients, and I want to make sure our patients, whether they're lung pathology patients, which is my focus, or our breast pathology patients, people who have breast biopsies and breast excisions, it's very important, critical to know what you're dealing with and what you're up against. Uh, And the pathology report is the guide to that. The pathology report has the diagnosis. It discusses the uh, markers used. It discusses molecular tests. 
And of course, the pathologist is here to help you interpret that. If there's any questions, you should not hesitate to call your pathologist or visit your pathologist and talk about the slides or look at the slides, talk about the report uh, and let the pathologist help you with this journey. Thank you. Well, Dr. Allen, would you first start off by telling our listeners um, what is a pathology report and what is used um, in the creation of that report? Thank you. Uh, it's easy for some of us to think everyone knows what goes on behind uh, the curtain in the hospital, but in fact not. Uh, when a patient is uh, looked at, perhaps radiology is done, there's a, a mass or whatnot, and there's a concern about there being a lesion or a neoplasm, uh, very frequently uh, there will be a biopsy. And uh, either sometimes a needle biopsy using a needle into the breast or a lip node under the arm, or sometimes an excisional biopsy in which there's a small surgery. Uh, more and more frequently today, we're using needle biopsies to look at these, these lesions. Those pieces of tissue are put in containers and submitted to the laboratory. And we, the pathologists, uh, perform the examination on those tissues to determine each patient's disease or, or hopefully lack thereof disease. And it's that piece of tissue that then is examined, worked up, tested, and uh, ultimately yields a pathology report. This is the report that I put out, my colleagues put out, ex explaining to uh, to the patient and to the patient's other physicians exactly what's going on with that tissue and exactly what the diagnosis is on that patient's specific biopsy tissue. Dr. Allen, um, just to, from my personal perspective, um, I am a breast cancer survivor. I am HER2 positive and estrogen and progesterone negative. And um, I'm wondering, during the surgery, for example, when I had my double mastectomy, during the surgery, are you aware whether or not the pathology uh, pathologist is present in the surgical area so that the tissue that's taken is actually evaluated um, during the surgery itself? Well, in, in typical, typical fashion, if a patient has a breast lesion today, uh, needle biopsies, needle core biopsies will be performed rather than excisional biopsies because they usually uh, yield very good diagnoses and are much less invasive and, and injurious to the patient and can be done much more quickly without deep anesthesia. In those situations, the pathologist is typically not present at the time of the biopsy. However, it's critical that the pathology team and the uh, folks doing the biopsies themselves have extremely good communication as to what piece of tissue came from what part of the patient's body. For example, if one does a biopsy on the left upper quadrant, um, I want to make sure I know exactly what piece of tissue that is versus one from the right lower quadrant because one might have uh, just some, some uh, benign changes. The other one might have cancer, and we want to make sure we know exactly what biopsy comes from where. Uh, therefore, although the pathologist may not be present at the time of the biopsy, uh, it's important, imperative, that the biopsy uh, be performed by personnel who have good communication with their pathology colleagues, and we all work closely to make sure the tissue is examined uh, and diagnosed 
from exactly the spot it was taken. Uh, Catherine, you probably have some other questions. Go ahead. I would have a hundred questions to ask him right away, but I don't want to take up all the time. Go ahead, Catherine. So when a layperson is looking um, at their um, pathology report and they're looking at, just like uh, Ms. Debo said, hers is HER2 positive. So in the evaluation of that for someone's a surgical team as well as their oncologist, how is the type of um, breast cancer actually is defined based on a person's pathology report? Well, the, the pathology report, as was mentioned, contains not only the diagnosis, and, and if it's benign, uh, that's great. If it's something atypical, there are gradations of changes that are not overtly malignant, and we need to make sure that we're very clear about that. Our understanding of breast pathology is, and breast disease is much better than it used to be even a couple of decades ago. So, again, these, these gradations of atypias uh, increase the future risk for breast cancer but don't recognize uh, are not recognized as breast cancer themselves must be considered. But that said, if a patient does have a diagnosis of breast cancer, it's important to make sure that the diagnosis is accurate and the specific type of breast cancer uh, is is documented because there are more than one type of breast cancer. These different types have different prognoses and to some extent different therapies. And beyond that, yes, HER2 testing is critical. ER, which stands for estrogen receptor, and PR, which stands for progesterone receptor uh, testing, is is a standard of care. Uh, and that helps define the type of cancer and whether or not it will respond to various therapies beyond just surgery, uh, uh, hormonal therapies, and ultimately molecular therapies that may be a benefit to the patient and uh, improve survival or even improve chance of cure. I'm wondering also um, in terms of the different um, categories that are looked at by the pathologist. I don't know we've mentioned HER2 status, and you just mentioned the estrogen and progesterone receptor status. Is there Are there other statuses, I think, like um, invasive, non-invasive, lymph nodes? How, how do you go about determining that? Well, absolutely. What, what you're uh, uh, alluding to, I think, is what we call the stage of the patient's disease. Yes, uh, yes. Almost, almost all cancers, not only is it important to have the exact diagnosis of the tissue type of cancer, but to know the stage. Stage is uh, usually a combination of things. It, 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 for example, the size of the primary tumor, uh, the, the surgical margins and where they lie. Uh, as you say, the, the degree of invasiveness, whether or not uh, lymph nodes, especially axillary lymph nodes, those that are under the arm, are involved with the tumor that is spread to those uh, through metastases is also important for staging the patient. And the stage of the patient's tumor, along with the type of tumor, is the primary driver of the, the type mm -hmm. of therapy that the patient can be uh, uh, best uh, uh, treat with. How, how do you determine the stage? It's a combination of things. As a pathologist, I will look at the uh, size of the lesion that I, I, I get. This comes from excisions, not just from little core biopsies that are very, very small. Mm -hmm. But if one gets the, then an excision after the diagnosis is made, then the size of the tumor, uh, also uh, the lymph node status. If there is tumor in the axillary lymph nodes that are taken out or biopsied by core biopsies, that also 
will increase the stage of the patient's tumor, all of which goes to whether or not the patient is best served with surgery or perhaps a combination of things, including uh, radiation therapies, chemotherapies, uh, or hormonal therapies. And even in today's world, we're looking at immunotherapy. You know, we hear about PDL1 uh, and testing for PDL1. This is all about uh, helping the patient's immune system battle the cancer that's in the body. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very hot topic today in in many areas of cancer. And I would say we will see what we get uh, in the future uh, regarding immunotherapy in breast cancer patients. I know it's being studied. I believe that when um, I was diagnosed with HER2 positive and they were trying to determine what uh, treatments were available for me, I believe I used or they used an immunology um, treatment for me and it was her two uh, positive so they used her septin and is that what you're referring to well that's one of them her septin has been with us for some years and is a hormonal type therapy uh, but there also uh, the possibility of a, another type of immune therapy uh, that affects the pdl1 receptor uh, which is a separate receptor and that's being studied in a variety of cancers, including in breast cancer. And we'll see what the future holds. Perhaps that's another treatment option for breast cancer patients. Is there also something called, um, do you t determine not only the stage of the tumor, but do you determine the grade? Isn't there a grade? Um... There, there is, yes. And uh, along with the stage, that's important information for uh, assessing prognosis and therapy. The grade is a as a term we pathologists use to assess just how, as we, as we put it, how well differentiated or poorly differentiated the, the cancer is. And that is to say, since cancers often uh, arise from cells that make normal uh, tissues in the body, sometimes these cancers can appear to be similar to those normal tissues. They're, of course, not. They're cancer. But they can produce changes that look uh, or reminiscent of the normal tissue they're supposed to be uh, from. And so if you see a tumor as a pathologist that shows uh, some changes that are, that are reminiscent of the normal tissue from which these tumor cells uh, potentially have arisen, then that might be called well differentiated. On the other hand, if I see a tumor that's just a sheet of cancer cells uh, all in disarray and don't resemble anything at all of any sort of a normal tissue structure mm -hmm. from which the tumor may have come, that would be considered poorly differentiated. And this uh, basically is thought to be a worse prognostic indicator than a, a more well-differentiated tumor or a tumor that does have some features that sort of reminisce as to the originating uh, cancer cell. Um, I know Catherine's sitting here biting at the bits trying to get a question in, but I do have um, another <laughs> question real quick since we're on this subject. Um, are there, um, are there, uh, is there a scale uh, by which you determine the stage or the grade, like 1 to 10 or something along that line? There are criteria we pathologists use, in or not necessarily 1 to 10, but there's, there are ways that we determine uh, the the grade of tumor that are, you know, based on how we uh, have studied disease. And this is how I teach my trainees to, to examine breast tissue or other tissues to determine the, the, uh, the grade. And in terms of the stage of disease, 
there are agreed upon criteria that come out of uh, our, of our cancer world that we all agree if a tumor is a certain size or so and it involves or does not involve lymph nodes that it would be a certain stage and this sets is that stage that allows us to discuss as a team the best therapies for these patients going forward so if you're a stage one obviously that sounds as though that would be not such a bad diagnosis and if your grade is like i don't know four i'm not sure is that kind of a not such a good grade diagnosis well that's a real way of putting it uh if one has a higher grade in general that suggests a more aggressive tumor whereas the stage suggests this tumor has not spread very far so one might say i've got a a breast cancer that seems aggressive based on its its uh grade, but has not spread very far based on its stage. So perhaps, uh, you know, uh, a simple surgery would be curative. But on the other hand, maybe I should be watched a little more closely because it appeared to be more aggressive. Uh, on the other hand, one had a, could have a, 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 a breast cancer that has a, a fairly low grade, so it looks fairly uh, bland uh, under the microscope, but maybe it's spread uh, in, into some distant site. In that situation, the stage would be a high-stage breast cancer, and I would expect that despite the uh, low grade, that this patient should be treated aggressively. This is all very helpful information, especially for me when I look back on the last five years. Um, one little side note, when I went in to see my um, surgeon, Oh, a couple of weeks after my double mastectomy, and uh, we were reviewing my pathology report, and um, he said, um, Debo, I should probably give this to you um, because as a professional, you know, you should have a copy of this, but I'm cautious to give this to you because uh, you'll freak out because <laughs> because uh, the report sounds pretty horrible and uh, I don't want you to get all upset because there's treatments for you and so uh, you know it was a little bit of a panic moment for me because I was thinking oh my gosh I don't want to not take the pathology report but um, I trusted my surgeon and if he said what you're going to do is you're going to take this pathology report and you're going to see that there are some high numbers here and you're going to go to Google and you're going to Google every single one of these and you're going to get so upset because uh, Google is not the best source of information for you to be diagnosing yourself. So ultimately, <laughs> I had handed it back to him because I was afraid you have to do it exactly what he told me that he anticipated I would do. So, um, but anyway, I did have, I, I had a chemo after the double mastectomy and uh, I was on Herceptin for a year and I had paraplatin. It was one of the uh, chemo treatments that I had and Taxotere, I think, was the other. Well, thank you for sharing that. First of all, uh, my my uh, heart is out to you and my hat is off to you for what you've gone through and how you've survived it and what you're doing now to help others. Uh, it really is uh, uh, exceptional that folks like you are there helping others who are, are struggling. Uh, but as you say, it's a scary moment. It's, it's something that is, is life-changing, and one cannot expect any 
patient to be able to, to absorb it all at once. That's impossible. And families, too. Uh, I like what your surgeon said. I would I would say, yes, don't don't go to Google. You'll just scare everyone. But I would say this. Once a patient has a, kind of a f- firm understanding of the reality of things, what I've seen is patients, people, people are, are, are strong. Patients are very strong. Once they get a, a grip that there's something going on and kind of calm down a moment, Please don't hesitate to look at your pathology report and reach out to your pathologist if, if you'd like. Because, again, knowledge is power. Most of us had rather know, good or bad, had rather know what we're up against. Uh, because one of the things that causes fear is the fear of unknown. Uh, it's yes. scary when I don't know what's going on. But if I, no matter how bad it is, I know exactly how bad it is. I know what I'm up against. I can set up a battle plan here. I can make a yes. plan of action for myself. So I support exactly what you said, but I would also say, please don't hesitate to uh, uh, talk to your pathologist because those reports can be full of big words, and they're 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 they have to to, to meet certain criteria. But we also, as pathologists, uh, talk to patients in 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 terms that we normal people can understand who haven't gone through you know training, uh, because it's important to, to understand. Uh, that our patients, we as pathologists need to understand our patients need some sense of, of understanding, and that provides some sense of relief because it's bad enough to be up against taking care of uh, uh, cancer. It's, it's, impo- it's just impossible if you don't understand what you're up against. So we're here to help you understand what you're up against and help you figure out the best uh, plan for it. Yes. Well, it's ironic that you would say um, to speak to your pathologist. Um, and so many people are not accustomed to actually scheduling a time to go and speak with their pathologist. And so how common are, are, are you know, would you recommend that a person actually take the time out to go and sit down with their pathologist to just actually understand everything that's detailed in their pathology report and what are the most important things that that person should be looking for in understanding versus all of the knowledge that's within the pathology report? Well, uh, first of all, I'd say it's, it's up to every individual. Some people may say, I understand my disease. I have no uh, no problems and I know where I'm going and there's no need to talk to the pathologist. Uh, I would suggest every patient look at the pathology report, though. I think that there's nothing at all wrong with that. But uh, patients' needs vary. Patients' concerns vary. Um, And I think although historically we pathologists have been behind the scenes, so to speak, I think more and more, especially in today's molecular age of of hormonal therapies and molecular therapies and immunotherapies, it's a much more complicated place in cancer than it has been even a decade ago. We pathologists are now being called upon and we're stepping up to speak with our patients uh, when the patient wants to. And as you, and at that point, uh, you know, the question then is how deeply we discuss it. Well, of course, it's not important for the patient to know every little thing on the pathology report. Our, uh, I as a pathologist have to make sure the patient knows the things that she needs to move forward. What does what grade mean? What does stage mean, as you said? How do these uh, tests suggest additional therapies would be helpful and work not just as a solo pathologist but work with the team of breast doctors that are part of my team the uh, 
the breast oncologist, the breast surgeon. So we speak as one voice to the patient. So I, I'm not here necessarily to add confusion at all. Uh, I'm here to clarify, but I'm also working with the team to make sure we all speak as one voice as to what the best plan ahead should be. Well, Dr. Allen, you made a very good point, and I think our listeners would benefit greatly. Um, you said that uh, that to speak with the pathologist um, would be uh, highly recommended, if at all possible, or I'm interpreting you having said that. And I'm wondering if uh, patients even know that they have that option to actually ask to speak to the pathologist. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Many don't. I've, I'm involved in social media as, as a pathologist, particularly as a pulmonary pathologist, as a lung pathologist. I'm involved in on Twitter with uh, lung cancer social media, hashtag LCSM. Uh, and by the way, we also work some with hashtag BCSM, breast cancer social media. Hmm. Uh, and we've, we've done some joint uh, uh, Twitter chats together. That said, Certainly in my lung cancer team, uh, patients' families have made it clear they didn't know you could talk to your pathologist. Right. Who knew? No and, and I think the same thing in, in the breast cancer world. Patients don't think of that as an option, and sometimes it's not necessary. If the surgeon or the oncologist is fully uh, engaged and the patient's comfortable, that's fine. Again, I would suggest you make sure you have a copy of your pathology report and, and look at it yourself. But sometimes things are are difficult, uh, some, and the pathologist is certainly there to help explain the pathology report. And again, as I said, as a team with the oncologist, surgeon, or whoever uh, is involved, to work toward a unified uh, plan of action with the patient going forward. So my, my uh, concept is the pathologist providing additional information, not providing confusion, but additional information for patients and families who need it and have, have to have things maybe a little more explained because these are complicated uh, diagnoses, and pathologists spend many years in training to understand it, so I can't expect anyone who is not that trained up to be able to understand it well. It, it's it's uh, it's just not uh, the normal thing to expect. But yet, you have as a patient have to make real decisions based on this information. Well, and I can share. I think with most uh, women, if not all, who hear those dreadful words, "You have breast cancer," or in my case, um, the words were, "You have invasive ductal carcinoma," and you know, I kind of went, "Are you telling me I have breast cancer?" Um, and so those words are just, just they actually you. I don't even know how to explain the response internally that one goes through, at least I did in particular, um, to hear those words because all of a sudden you see your life flashing before your eyes. And I had a younger sister who was only 48 when she died of breast cancer. And so all I ever knew of breast cancer was you don't live. And um, so to hear you speak of this and to share this information, uh, to let women uh, and even some men who are diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, that they have their pathologist readily available to have an in-depth conversation about their pathology report. Because as Catherine said in the beginning, information is so helpful. Information lends itself to hope. It gives you uh, a roadmap. How are you going to address this issue? What are your options for treatment? And knowing 
more about that pathology report uh, is just absolutely essential in order to determine where you're headed. And again, it gives you hope. Cancer is cancer is the scariest word in the world. Yes, there is no other word in the in the English language, or I'd say any other language, that is scarier than the word cancer. Yes, uh, you hit the nail on the head. But you know what? It isn't the death sentence it used to be. At least not for everybody. Uh, and of course, everyone, myself included, is going to have her or his life pass across his eyes. Uh, but once that's happened, and once one's calmed down a little bit, and and it is kind of has one wits together, that's when you you uh, get ready to to uh, put a plan of action together. Do consider talking to pathologists. You know, we as physicians uh, can treat patients, we can diagnose patients, we can uh, uh, talk to our patients. And patients sometimes do well. Patients sometimes don't do well. Uh, ultimately, we all die. It's just the nature of the beast. Yes. That said, there is one thing that we can always do, and that is to provide hope. Yes. Uh, even the, the sickest patient uh, needs to have hope and uh, a realistic hope, not not uh, not uh, uh, impractical hope. But we as pathologists can help provide that hope by showing the diagnosis, by talking about potential treatment options based on testing that has been done to the tissue. And that's the thing that really helps me as a pathologist come into work every day and do what I do because it's it's my pr- a pr- privilege, really, to serve my patients in this capacity. Well, you are definitely a blessing, and I know Catherine's saying, Deborah, we have to wrap this up, but I do want to share one more thing. Um, sure. Because the pathologist in my particular case, I was very fortunate. My diagnosis was um, done uh, very thoroughly. And last um, Wednesday of last week, I um, had an appointment with my oncologist. I went in to see my oncologist and um, in fear and trembling because every time you go, you know, they draw blood and it always makes you a little bit anxious. And so my uh, oncologist walked into the room and she sat down she looked at me I was sitting on the examination table and she said Devo you're her too positive I said yes and she said I it's been five years and these words I say very carefully to you um, but as a professional and as someone who has walked this path with you for five years now, if you were going to have a reoccurrence as a HER2-positive patient, it would have happened probably within the first two years. You're now at five years, and I'm going to cautiously yet confidently and comfortably say you are cured. I know that. Like that's a word I like to hear. <laughs> I, well, I, I congr- congratulations. Well, well I know there's I can't... no real cure, but I, hearing her say that word, I, I, I'm still a little bit um, numb by the uh, actual words themselves. Well, this is what, but see, this is what's real. Thank you for sharing this, uh, because this is all very personal. No, I I also, as a physician, people think, well, you're a pathologist, you're sort of, you know, uh, dispassionately engaged. Well, indeed, that said, uh, my mother is an eight-year survivor survivor of of ovarian cancer. So all of us, all of us have personal 
uh, uh, feelings about this. I have to make sure I do my work correctly. But please understand, I as a pathologist and my other team members as pathologists are just as human as the rest of us. And we uh, we strongly work uh, toward the betterment of our patients and uh, their care. And it's not the death sentence it used to be. Right. Uh, it just isn't. And that's what we need to, to uh, encourage folks to get more involved with, including uh, patients speaking as necessary with their pathologists when they want to follow up. I, uh, I know of a case from a book I read where a woman who had breast cancer and ultimately she succumbed to her breast cancer. And, but it was one of those that took many years to slowly spread before she died. But she would go see her pathologist every time she had a biopsy and she would look at the, the, the disease and she said, uh, I want to see the dragon I am slaying. And she fought it and fought it until the final uh, days when she was uh, near death, she took her son to visit her pathologist and had her son meet her pathologist. And that tells me what kind of impact we pathologists can have on our patients. And we need to be there for them every time. Certainly. Well, thank you, Dr. Allen, for joining us for another episode of the Pink Podcast. We have thoroughly enjoyed and increased our knowledge about understanding our pathology report, uh, what it consists of, and how we can utilize that in our treatment options. So you have been listening to the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast. Support from this podcast comes from the D.L. Dykes Jr. Foundation, producers of faithandreason.org.